Scene 18. Be Your Own Opening Act. Paul Romhaney. Read by Joshua Stenkamp, followed by original audio recording. Vancouver or bust. I took an early flight from Orlando to New York on no sleep. A connection to Seattle later, still no sleep. I arrived to Seattle to meet the famously gray skies. A quick stop to pick up my rental car, then to my hotel to check in, had me on the road only moments later. Still no sleep. My interview was not in Seattle, but a four-hour drive to the north. Driving through the northern part of Washington State was beautiful. Luscious green trees snake along the curving roads with views of rivers that seemed to never end. I stopped a few times to stretch my legs in the drizzling rain. Sleep-deprived, all I could think of was that I was going to be murdered at one of these rest stops. The scenery was very Stephen King-esque. After going through Canadian customs and immigration, which was a pleasant experience, I only had 30 minutes to my destination. It actually took me an hour because I had to change the digital speedometer on my rental car to kilometers, which was not an easy task. Entering Canada was a, just as gloomy as Seattle, but instead of the tall greenery, I continued down a road through a flat brown farm country. Large ivy-covered houses that lined the road just miles of, I mean, kilometers away was my destination. I pulled into a very lovely townhome and was greeted by Paul. Making my way up the stairs to his kitchen, he had coffee waiting for me. My hero. Four glorious cups later and some light chit-chat, we descend into his garage, which had been converted into an office. Boxes of magic scale the walls, ventriloquism puppets sit lifeless on shelves, and Charlie Chaplin memorabilia covers everything else. Okie dokie. Uh, we are here in Langley, British Columbia with Mr. Paul Romhaney. Yep. Romhaney. 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 Hungarian. Hungarian. Well, my father's Hungarian. Um, I'm half Hungarian by my mother and half New Zealand by a friend of my father. So, no, that's not right. <laughs> and that works. Um, so, really, the first question is how did you get your start in performing? Um, well, I, well, yeah, I, I, I was, well, to be honest with you, and I said in my son, who's now four, and I was always one of those kids as a young kid since I was probably born that, that you know, there are kids that, well, you see kids that, are, that you think, boy, they're natural performers. So I always had it in me to perform. Um, I think I do believe it's something you're either born with or you're not. I've always believed that. I could look at somebody and, and go and, and see, yes, they'll make it because they have it. Um, uh, so I think as a kid, I was always performing and so when I was, I saw my first magician, usual sort of story, when I was probably about six, and uh, he, he did the uh, three sword suspension, and then he wanted to put, he wanted to volunteer for the arm chopper, and then he, he pointed at me, and I was so scared of the arm chopper that I actually ran away. But somehow that triggered something in me that I liked magic. But <clears throat> the love for it came from, I always, uh, from Charlie Chaplin, actually. Well, I was about six or seven when I saw my first Chaplin movie, and I remember thinking to myself, Boy, that's exact, and it, and it just is, who knows at this age of six or seven. Um, but I, I said that's what I'm going to do. I just knew it. I just hadn't. There was no, nothing about it. That's all I wanted to do. After seeing the Gold Rush, and uh, I just that's what I wanted to do was just be Charlie Chaplin. And so, and 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 I, you know, I got I started playing piano at about age eight. So I was performing at a very young age. Um, I hated playing piano because I wasn't very good. And I, but I ended up doing a degree and all that stuff in it. But but um, but I remember as a kid 
enjoying performing magic more. So if we had people come over, I'd, you know, my parents would go, just do something. I have to play the piano. But then I would, I'd rather do a magic trick because I enjoyed the magic more, whereas piano, I felt more pressure. You know, you could make a mistake in music and when in playing and, and it would be pretty obvious. But in magic, it, there wasn't that pressure. It was quite different. So I think as a kid, I, uh, I always wanted to perform. It, it was, it's always been there. And so that's, it was just a natural thing. And that's probably, and I see it in my son too. We haven't forced him in any direction, but it's very interesting to see that in someone, you know, in my son, because uh, he's just, he's a natural, I can just see it. And um, I think, I think, you know, the usual sort of thing of the magician, seen a magician, and then my next door neighbor, a, a magician called Wayne Rogers, who, who, um, who ended up being the creator of all these incredible, um, productions like the ladder production and the shovel and the appearing shovel and all this <clears throat> but he was my next door neighbor so i got to know him and um you know he would encourage me and uh and that's one thing i think that i've i've taken away uh from from being a kid in magic um was the encouragement i got from so many magicians and that's something even today that i try to to, to uh yeah you know even today i tried that's how i try to to model myself like those guys helped me when I was a kid. And so that's what I do today. I'm happy to answer questions and things. So, uh, yeah, um, that's how it sort of started. Uh, um, from there, oh, well, you know, and then I got into ventriloquism when I was eight. I saw the Muppets, <clears throat> and I loved the Muppets, and we went to Disneyland uh, from New Zealand, which was a big deal in those days. Um, and and I, th I saw a vent puppet, and so I got into ventriloquism. So anything to do with the arts, I was into performing. And I still do ventriloquism today, you know, um, and I still have this fascination with puppets. So it stayed with me, stayed with me forever, you know. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's how I got into it. When did, um, when did the, the whole chaplain act come from? Ah, well, as I said, I have photographs of when I was a young kid, uh, probably about eight or nine um, as chaplain, but it didn't really, so there's always been that love for chaplain and, and it connected on, chaplain connected on such a level at a young age. And I think today, when I perform chaplain for young kids, they may, they don't know who he is, but they recognize him as a clown. And I, and I guess that's what it was when I was a kid. The whole chaplain with the magic thing actually came about because I think I was about 18 when uh, Marvin Roy came to New Zealand and did a tour and he did a lecture. And to this day, the best lecture I've ever seen. And I sat there in a room of magicians and, you know, I was, I, as a young kid, was a young, yeah, as a young kid, you go, oh, sorry, as a young kid, you go through all these, um, phases you know today they might go through the chris angel phase david blaine phase in those days oh, sorry. in those days i went through my um uh, paul daniels phase my david copperfield phase my harry anderson <laughs> my harry anderson phase so i went through all these phases and you know i had my friends my magicians saying look you really must uh, find out you know who you are and be yourself if you want to succeed and it, when marvin roy gave a lecture he talked about taking a theme or an act and as an example in his lecture, he just he said, name a topic, and someone yelled out, cookie, like a chocolate chip cookie. And then for the rest of the hour and a half, Marvin created an act that was incredible, and, you know, through suggestions on how to create an act with a cookie, you know. And he talked about production, you know, what can we do with a cookie? So he, so at the end of the lecture, we had the, he had created an act of a theme around a cookie or cookies. And so that really inspired me. Um, there was huge influence on me because I was looking, I was looking for something at that stage and I might've been the only one in that room that really got something out of that. And what I took away from that was, uh, wow, what is it that I really like? Cause he said, you know, find something that you really, uh, are interested in. And as much as I like cookies, that didn't, that wasn't my thing. Um, 
And I thought, oh my God, it's so natural, Charlie Chaplin. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, well, you know, I've been dressing up as Chaplin since I was a kid. And I'm a huge Chaplin fan, you know. Um, and I put the moustache and the thing on and the hat and I went, oh my God. Wow. And then I started doing a lot of research and I thought, oh, geez, we're the same height. And, and, and so it was a bit, but I'd been performing Chaplin since I was a kid. So all the mannerisms and things, but I really got into it about 18 or 19. And it was because of Marvin Roy, um, because of his lecture. And then, and I'll be honest, the minute that I became Charlie Chaplin, my work went through the roof, completely changed my life. Because up until that point, I was just like any other magician doing kids' parties and that. But I had something that was really unique and that, Nobody else was doing. I mean, there was Kevin James, but that was that was completely different than what I was wanting to do with it. Um, and and Chaplin is such an iconic figure. I started getting work in Singapore. I started working in Dubai. You know, I found that I could travel anywhere. And um, and another important and and it's not and and people I watch people today who who try to do a Chaplin act and they completely miss the whole miss the whole thing because um, Chaplin is so um, you know it's 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 I'm an actor. That's what I, you know, when I become chaplain, I am chaplain. It's, I had to be, uh, I can sweat. When I finish 15 minutes, I'm pouring off with sweat because of keeping in character the whole time. It's, uh, it's not easy. And, and you have to know, you have to understand the character. You have to understand how that fits in with the magic because chaplain, in my mind, isn't a magician, but the magic happens to him. So he's surprised, which makes it more magical in many respects. Um, because he's just as surprised as the audience. And then I started doing, um, in casinos and things in Auckland, in New Zealand, I started doing Australian magic as Chaplin, which, which was, and, and even to this day, I still do it because it, it makes the magic so much stronger because people, they see Charlie Chaplin. You know, if you do a corporate gig and if I do a corporate job, they see Charlie Chaplin, but they don't, they don't expect, um, they don't, expect they didn't expect Charlie Chaplin to do magic, right? Sorry, that's just my watch, which I never wear. Um, they don't expect Chaplin to do magic, so the minute they see me do a trick as Chaplin, it makes that trick so much stronger. And I have, you know, I have a whole theory about performing silent, silently, and and because it makes it so much stronger, they're not expecting. Uh, the, it does make the magic stronger. They're not expecting it. Uh, so, so Chaplin really happened about age eighteen, and it just it just took off, and um, you know. It's taken me to 124 countries, and and no matter where I go, I could be in Africa, I could be in. We were in China, uh, China a couple of years ago on Christmas Day. They hired us, they hired me, and my wife went to do a Chaplin thing in a hotel, <clears throat> and I thought, well, you know, they won't even know who Charlie Chaplin is. They it was like 500, well, it was either 250 dollars a ticket for this. I didn't know this until I got there. Jeez. They charged, and and the place was packed. It was I think three thousand. People, something ridiculous. It was just packed. It was a dinner and a show. I was the show. And, uh, I, I, you know, um, the whole hotel, it was like a five-star hotel, was done up in Chaplin. And the funny story there is I, uh, I started my show, and in those days I used to come out of the audience, go through the audience to get on stage as Chaplin. And, and, and I actually missed a cue because going from the audience, through the audience, I had people grabbing me and pulling me. I thought, what the hell is going on? They're like, really? And I couldn't get to the stage, right? They just wanted to touch me. So I did the show and stuff and it was all over and it went well. And, and at the end of the show, after it was all over, I was, somebody comes up and says, Mr. Mr. Chaplin, I'm like, what? Is that, uh, who, who takes over the mantle when you die? And then it clicked. I went, oh my God. They actually believe that I've inherited the Chaplin cane, and you know they, they, they thought the mantle was passed down, so that's why they treated me like that. They wanted photographs; it was nuts, um, you know. So there's all these experiences, but but it's taken us, it's taken me all. Over, my wife as well. It's taken us over the world. So. When you um, 
when you first started out with your chaplain, yep. was it, did you already have effects in mind for chaplain or was it just a complete exploration of, did you, did you, I don't know this. Uh, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I know. Okay. So, um, uh, no, there was nothing in my mind because I knew, I, I knew in the back of my mind, the two most important things for me, one was the music. Um, the, because it's the, even to this day, it's the music for me and everyone works differently, but it's the music for me that helps me with the character and helps me choose the magic. I, I've got tricks that I've been working on for years, a salt port and a dancing hanky. And until I find, and, and I've got them technically I can, but until I find the music, um, they're never going to go in. The, they can't go in the show. Cause, and the other thing is it has to make sense. Um, the easy way out would have been for Chaplin to walk on. Now, Chaplin did a movie called uh, The Circus, and this is what he did. He he came on. He came on. He, he accidentally came on stage and found the magician's props, and he just pulled all this stuff out. That's one way of going, but that's not really what I wanted to do with Chaplin. So when I started, I thought, right, um, I need to think about the character first, and and the biggest thing is motivation. There needs to be motivation for everything. If you look at Cardini's act, which is the only act, as far as I'm concerned, in the world that makes that that makes any sense doing card flourishes, um, you know, card stuff, because he's drunk and it's damn cards keep coming back. Well, that makes sense. Nothing else. I get I get bored. I, I, I fall asleep. Nothing else makes sense to me. And that's just my personal opinion. I think there needs to be motivation for your magic, especially when you do character magic, because it doesn't fit otherwise. If I came out and, and did a levitation, or, or any trick, uh, what, what, why, why, why would I do that? Why doesn't it doesn't fit the character? So, so the easiest thing would would have been to come out and have Chaplin accidentally take over a magician's bag, you know, find a magician's bag and just do stuff and funny stuff happening, and that's great. That's that probably would have worked, um, but I wanted something deeper than that. So, um, <clears throat> and so, so with Chaplin, for me, the, the whole concept was to to think of the character and th everything I put into it had to be motivation. Why would, and lead. So you had to tell a story. That's the other thing. It needed to be a story. I do a thing where I finish my show with a, with a floating broom. So, so there's a dustbin on stage and a broom that's in it. And then stuff just comes to life and, and the magic happens to Charlie. Um, so that the floating broom, for example, took years to, to put in because um, I, I couldn't find the right music, but the motivation had to be there. And the motivation didn't come for years. I had the, I had the concept in my mind. I didn't, but I didn't have the motivation for it. And I remember having it on cruise ships for about a year and practicing it. And but there was no motivation until I heard a piece of music, which happened to be by Charlie Chaplin called "Smile." And I listened to it. And I went, "Oh my god, this is this is." I should have heard, listened to this to start with because the motivation was in that music about um, falling in love. And and now, so Charlie, which this is what Charlie would do. Charlie Chaplin would see an object and and, and think of it as something else. So the broom in my mind becomes a woman. And Chaplin falls in love, and it floats, and you know, um, <clears throat> and and I should have thought of that because you see, with Chaplin, Chaplin himself once said, "All I need to make a movie is a, a pretty woman, a policeman, and a park bench." Mm -hmm. And really, to do a Chaplin magic show, all I need is a pretty woman, a policeman, and a park. You know, that yeah. you, you, so so you, so studying the character. A lot of a lot of my effort goes into studying the character. I've got every book, everything you can imagine about Chaplin. Um, and just really knowing the character, knowing the character, I think is the most important thing, uh, because that gives you that can give you motivation. I can look at a hundred tricks and within two seconds, know whether or not it'll work for Chaplin. The same with the music. I, I need, listen, listen, need to listen to ten seconds of a piece of music and I'll know if it's going to work or not. 
If, on the other hand, I see a trick and I go, God, I like the dancing hanky. I've got the latest dancing hanky boy. And I, I'm forcing myself to find motivation to put it in because I love it. Um, but Norm Nelson said something to me once. I, I created an illusion where you come out of a briefcase. It's called the briefcase illusion. Funny that. Uh, and Norm, I, I used to start my show off with that as Charlie Chaplin. And Norm looked at it once. Norm Nelson came to tour New Zealand and I showed him a video. And he said to me, you're looking at that from a magician's point of, of view. He said, because as a magician, that's a great illusion and it's a prop and magicians love props. He said, but would Chaplin have that? Because a briefcase, it didn't fit the whole show. It was kind of out of context. And I had to agree with him. <laughs> I still use the illusion when I do my corporate stuff because it fits yeah. perfectly, but not for Chaplin. So I had to take it. I, I didn't have to, but I took it out because, and it was great I took it out because I no longer have to travel with this big illusion. But um, so everything I do has to make sense. Um, yeah, I think did that. You, did you work in, because you've been cruise lines for so long, would you work in new material and just see if it worked? Would you give yourself like a three strikes it's out? Or was it, you had to know exactly. I had to know exactly if it was going to work or not. And pretty much, um, pretty much, and I've been doing it so long that I know if it's, I, I make it work. I'll know, as I said, I'll know. It's about knowing the character so well that you know if it's going to work or not. It's like, I, I would imagine it's like Jeff Hobson or somebody like that that knows their character so well that they know if it's going to work or not. You just know. Um, I don't think I've ever worked in any worked anything in that I that that hasn't worked because um, I wouldn't. Well, because I know, um, and that just comes. That really you can only get that from experience and doing it for so long. In the early days, I tried all sorts of things. Um, I've got old video footage of me doing stuff. In fact, I watched something the other day that was done. Gosh, maybe twenty years ago now. And I thought to myself, I thought, actually, that's really – I did it, and then I stopped. And I saw it, and then I'm looking back now, I go, oh, my God, that's actually pretty good. Wow, was that me? <laughs> you know, that's a great routine. I forgot I, forgot I used to do that. And I had people come up to me because uh, I take – sometimes I take things out. I do an umbrella routine with a newspaper and an umbrella. And the idea is that Charlie – because there's a trash can there, right? Charlie finds our newspaper. It starts to rain, so we have the rain, rain coming down and the rain music. And he reaches and he takes out an umbrella which doesn't have anything around it. Paul is reaching for his umbrella. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't have anything around it. Um, and then he, so he opens it up and there's nothing, and he's still getting wet. But then he takes a newspaper and he puts the newspaper over himself to stop getting wet. And then he decides he'll cover the umbrella in the newspaper. Then he pulls out the, the umbrella from the newspaper. Now the newspaper is blank, but the umbrella is covered in newsprint. So that there's motivation for that routine. It's a bit, And I, I used to do it for a long time, took it out, and then people I've seen recently said, whatever, you don't do that anymore. I'm thinking, oh, I got bored with it. But but I looked at it again. I thought, actually, no, it makes, it's a great routine. You know, it's a really nice routine for Chaplin. So I put it back in. Um, so I create stuff. Uh, the act hasn't changed much over the years. It's very hard for me to, um, to it's, it's taken me so long. I, I tell everybody it's taken me 25, 30 years to get 15 minutes of really good, that I think is good material. I do a 45-minute show. Well, no, a lot of people say the fit that, Sometimes 15 minutes is really all you need. <laughs> well, well, that's all I needed. A really interesting thing is this, and this is the best advice I was given. My mentor in my early days was Ricky Dunn. I was very fortunate when I was about 20, 21, so we had a New Zealand oh, – I guess he's still touring. I, in fact, I was just in New Zealand now. 27 years later, um, Chuck Jones is still touring New Zealand. Um, and uh, he's been touring for 27 years with a huge illusion show every year, uh, probably the longest-running tour of, in the world. Uh 
and I was about 20 when I first went on his tour. I didn't have an act. I was just a kid doing rope tricks and what have you. So I never had an act. Uh, I wasn't really doing Chaplin. I was doing Chaplin, but I, I was doing other things. So um, Ricky, so I got to tour with some incredible people, Mr., you know, Mr. Electric, um, uh, just it was a who's who. They brought everybody down uh, as, as sort of a variety show. And I guess they needed their quota for um, immigration purposes. So they had to put a few New Zealanders on the tour. I was I happened to get on. And um, that was the biggest break of my life because touring with those guys, you can't get out in books or anything. You know, touring with those pros like Ricky Dunn and and Mr. Electric and, and um, who have done it all their lives. I mean, your firsthand experience, it was incredible. But I remember Ricky saying to me, Ricky saw me saw me do the Chaplin thing, and and he said, and I said, and I I was applying trying to get on cruise ships at the time, and I said I don't you know they want a forty five minute show I just have fifteen minutes and I was doing okay with fifteen minutes because that's all the variety shows wanted, he said and this is the best advice I ever got he said you need to be your own opening act. I thought about what well, you need to be your own opening act. So so what I did was and 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 the other thing he said there's a difference between an act and a show. There's a difference between an act and a show. And I was doing an act. It was a 15-minute act. Um, you need to make it into a show. So a show means if you go to a show, you the minute you walk in the door, it starts. You know, the music, there's there's posters, it's it's a, you, the atmosphere, right? It's a theater show. And then you walk into the theater, and they might have pre-show music, or they might have something. <clears throat> so you're not just sitting there. Uh, and the orchestra, you know, there's stuff happening. And then the show starts. So there's a beginning, the middle, and an end. So I created, took that advice and I became my own opening act and I created a show. So I took 15 minutes and made it into 45 and I still do it to this day. Uh, my show starts off with a video of, uh, it's a movie I had made of Charlie Chaplin where he meets Jurassic Park, he meets um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Star Wars. It's a funny, it's a three minute piece. So when they come into the theatre, there's music playing that gets them into the right mood. Uh, they sit down, and all of a sudden, this movie starts. Nobody knows what to look. What the hell? We didn't come in to watch a movie, but it's a cartoon of Chaplin, so that gets them straight away. Then there's a voiceover. Then I come out as Paul, as myself. I see. I've realised I'm speaking in third term. I sound like George Costanza. Um, <laughs> I just realised. Hey, wait a minute. Um, who am I talking about? Um, so, so the movie starts, and I come out as Paul, and I do about ten minutes. Just as me, getting, you know, doing some comedy stick about coming from New Zealand, about my love for Charlie Chaplin. Um, I might do a rope trick. And then just so the audience gets to know me. And then I sit on stage and I put my makeup on. And I, now they see me physically. There's a one single spotlight on me and I physically become Charlie Chaplin. I put the makeup on. It's probably the most uh, theatrical moment in my show. And, and people have told me they have hairs on their back and the neck standing up. Because I, because when I put the makeup on, I actually you see me, I actually physically the whole facial and everything, body language, it all changes because I really do, you know, become Charlie Chaplin, I become the character. And then and then, then um, there's a three-minute, no, there's a minute-and-a-half movie while I go off stage and just do a costume change. And But my face is the same because we've just got a spotlight on it. And I come back and do the entire Chaplin show. So that's about 15 minutes all up. So there, I, so what I've done is I've, I, that is my opening act. So I'm opening, I'm my own opening act. I open for myself. And as far as character development, you know, as far as a character show goes, because I get asked this a lot, people say, you know, I do a 12-minute show with such and such, or it's a 12-minute themed act. Um, in fact, I know a lot of acts that are like that. Uh, how do I make it longer? And that's what I did, and that was the advice I was given. So um, so thinking of it like that, I was able to take a 15-minute act and make it into a 45-minute show. 
And even I believe that if you do close-up magic or you do a kid's birthday party, think of it as a show, not just a series of tricks. Uh, because often, you know, um, and, and I have just started doing kids' magic again, only because I have a kid, you know, a son, and I thought I'd like to get back into it. So I developed this Chaplin-esque character. It's not, it's not Chaplin with a moustache. It's a silent character for kids. It's almost my Chaplin show, actually, um, but on a kid, but it, it hits the kids right on the level. That, and, and it's a completely different experience now than me doing kid shows before I had a kid, really. But even 20 years ago, uh, you know, I started off doing kids' magic, and, and it's a completely different show. That The show I have now for kids is completely different, and it's on a level that is so – I believe that, that I, um, you know, kids are intelligent. They understand a lot of things. Um, and, and this way, I don't talk down to them. Um, you can, it's really quite an incredible experience to do a complete silent act for kids. Did, did you find it, because I know you came up with, a, I remember a while back, you did a couple different acts, kind of like a murder mystery. Yeah, yeah, I still do that. Yeah, yeah, that's my corporate show. Your corporate show. Yeah. Um, did you find it difficult to, to break away from the chaplain? Did people associate that, oh, that's Paul, he's the Charlie Chaplin? No, because nobody knows me that. Because when I do chaplain, nobody knows it's me anyway. Well, I mean... People, people either book the chap, the, the, the chaplain clients are completely different from the corporate clients. Um, different gigs, and you just sell them on whatever, whatever they want. I don't try to push the chaplain too much um, because that's, that's sort of a niche market. And if it's a Japanese audience or it's an audience where they have, you know, if somebody rings up and says, oh, we've got, uh, these people don't speak English, well, I just sell them on chaplain. And the chaplain is such a novelty that usually they ask for it. But the, the the corporate thing is completely different. That's an hour hour and a half show, and that's just for corporates, and that's that's like for training and stuff. How many different shows do you actually have? Well, about three or four, um, three three maybe three really good ones. One fifteen minute good one. The rest are average. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the the murder mystery thing I really love because uh, I get to do my mentalism, which I really like. Um, and then when I do strolling magic, it depends what mood I'm in. I, if I I'll either do Chaplin or I'll do Paul, unless they've specifically asked for it. Did a gig recently in Vancouver where there were 14 other magicians turning up. It was a close-up thing. Um, I thought, oh, my God, I don't want to do strolling magic as Paul because that's going to be, you know, there's 14 other guys or 13 other guys. So I did it as Chaplin. I don't think I did one trick. I just walked around as Chaplin because didn't have to. They just wanted people wanted photographs with Charlie Chaplin. The magicians let them do the work. <laughs> Although it's hard work being in character. Because, I mean, it really is hard work. When you do character work, it's really hard work. Um, and then again, I guess I guess in general, I, I, I would, I, I don't know, even when I do Paul, I'm in character. Here's the thing. Growing, and people tell you this, if you want to succeed, you have to be yourself. What makes David Copperfield or what makes Harry Anderson or what makes every single performer that we look up to who we think is successful um, what makes them so popular or what makes them so successful? Well, it's because they are themselves. They are their, that's who they are. That's their character. And if you ask them uh, what's your, you know, they're all going to say the same thing, I think. They're all going to say you have to be yourself. And even though, you, even though I am Charlie Chaplin, when I, like it's a character, I tell you, and you ask my wife, that is who I am. Um, I will take time. When I look at the, if I were to list the things of Chaplin the character, not Chaplin the man because I'm not a, you know, <laughs> he had a funny year, the strange life. But um, um, but the character that we see on the movies, you know, he'll take time to smell the roses. I mean, I'll do that. I, I do smell roses, actually, because I like the smell of them. But, you know, I'll stop and I'll look at things a little differently. So that is who I am deep down. 
That's who I am. And if you watch me do a regular show, there's many moments. It's very Chaplin-esque. I just can't help it. If I wasn't doing Charlie Chaplin, I'd probably be the same because that's who I am. So it's about knowing who you are. I was very and, – and, you know, of course, I'm sure when Jeff Hobson does his character, um, when he does – if he, uh, you know, if he does another character – or not another character, but if, he, if he's not doing his character, I'm sure there's, you just can't help that that crossover. Oh, yeah. You just can't help it. Um, there are little things I do when I do, and nobody notices. They don't go, oh, that's very Charlie Chaplin-esque. Like if they weren't knowing I was doing Charlie Chaplin, they're not going to go, oh, he's like Charlie Chaplin. They're not going to do that. No, he's, just, he's an eccentric. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's right. And, that, and, and that's kind of, that's the kind of thing that I go for. Um, in the back of my mind, it's just that is who I am, and, and, and that's why Chaplin worked, because I, I've been studying him for so long. That it's just it's just become part of me now. I don't go intentionally out with a hat on pretending to be Charlie Chaplin. Obviously, I'm not Charlie Chaplin. I'm an actor. When I do Chaplin, I'm acting. But I guess it's like no, it's not method acting. That's not right. Cause that wouldn't be very good. Um, um, but you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Um, you really take it on board, and so you can't help when you do those other shows for for it to be. And that's not a bad thing because that's who I am. So, um, as far as what do you? This is one of my favorite questions to ask is. What do you do right before you go on stage? Do you have any? Yes, I usually have a glass of port. Yeah, I don't do anything before I go. I I could be talking to you like this. I'm so relaxed. I'm so relaxed. Um, I could be. I'm usually talking to the stage hand, and even when I hear my name, they go, "Ladies and gentlemen." I go, "Oh, oh, oh, that's me!" And then bang, snap of a finger. The minute my foot goes on stage, I'm in character. Um, depends what gig it is, but in general, that's that's just how it is for me. I I know the act so well. I just know it so well that that I'm so relaxed before I go on. Um, I don't drink before I go on. I usually have a glass of port afterwards, um, just to unwind. Um, but but I know the character so well that I'm just. I could be talking to you just like this, and we could be talking, and my name's about to. Be, and you, you're probably going, um, shouldn't you be? Uh, you know, I'm going. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> I'm doing it more for your benefit than mine. You probably. <laughs> um, so I'm pretty relaxed. One of Jason's questions, since he's not yep. here, I'll ask it. Um, he calls them happy accidents. Yep. You've oh, been performing for a very God. long time. How much <laughs> – he words it so well. Um, how much has come from the audience that's been put in the show? Have you ever had any reaction or, oh, that's a great thing that happened on stage and it went into your show? Has that ever happened? Oh, certainly, yeah, certainly. And not so much the chap uh, – not so much the chaplain because it's everything is so choreographed and timed at – Always comes from <laughs> it is yeah, and it all comes from me. The thing about the channel, but yes, the answer to that is yes, and, and I get that more in my other shows, like when I'm my, my, my general magic show uh, or the corporate show. A lot of it, there'll be moments. It's like a comedian. A lot of things, um, and over the years, you build you build these things up, like responses to things. Um, but yeah, I guess um, even in Chaplin, maybe hmm, it's funny because everything to me seems so. I'm trying to think of something of a moment in the chaplain where where that happened, but um, I guess maybe it did. Um, I just can't think off the top of my head. Um, but certainly in my other shows, absolutely, um, because I'm a bit more flexible. In the chaplain show, even though I'm not, uh, the audience perceive me as not talking, um, I'm actually talking pretty much the entire time. I'm either talking to myself or as, as I have a volunteer on stage, um, <clears throat> I am talking flat out to that person on stage because uh, I need to put them in a position because part of the chaplain show relies on that person in the audience. They either make or break the show. I have a whole middle piece with a guy from the audience, and um, and uh, I've got to I, I, I've got to have them feeling 
so relaxed and I have to talk to them. So the minute I start talking to them, they freak out. For the class, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a whole series around it, a whole lot of stuff around it. The minute I start talking to them, they go, oh, my God, what? He's talking to me. So, so, so I put them into shock first and then I can do anything with them. But then I talk to them nicely. I ask them where they're from. And you wouldn't know this on stage. You go, oh, so where are you from? <laughs> like I'm talking to them. and then, But the audience have no, and I'm doing my stuff, but I'm talking to them. And so they're responding to me. I'm taking their watch. You know, they, so I get, so that's really an, a real special part of the show is um, uh, it enables me to do things with the spectator that you probably couldn't do or you'd have to do with a stage whisper. So in other words, I am stage whispering a lot to the, to the guy that's on stage, but I don't have to whisper. No one can hear me. I've got no microphone. So I'm talking to them, and they're doing everything I need them to do. Um, so I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, my wife, her first and only time on stage on a cruise ship, uh, this has to do with happy incidents. And, I, and, and, and here's something that happened that I wish we could do every show, but she doesn't want to do it, <laughs> probably just as well. Uh, we're on a cruise ship, and the cruise ship director said, you know, uh, I understand your wife travels with you and that's fine. You know. But have you ever thought about putting her in the act? I said, oh, well, I'll ask her. So she said, Natalie said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll try it. We'll try. But she said, I don't want to be on stage with a little dress and stuff. I said, no, no, it doesn't make sense. I said, but you sit in the audience and I'll get you out of the audience and then pretend you're an audience member and then that's it. That's all you have to do. I'll, do, I'll be doing the chair suspension and, um, <clears throat> you know, so – we sort of, as chaplain, we made everything fit. So there was a couple of chairs on stage. So what happened was, uh, it was, uh, she comes up on stage. I, at that stage, I was doing Professor Chair's rope trick, which is like 50 feet of rope coming out of your pants and then your arm. And then I would go into my growing hanky, which is 10 meters of, or 10 feet, 20 feet or whatever of hanky coming out of my pocket. And then I went into the chair suspension. And then, so, but so she would, her job as an audience member was to pull the rope. I go, oh, you know, so she pulled the rope and it would keep coming, get a laugh out the other leg. Then the hanky would come out and that would great. And then finished with a chair suspension. It was nice. And they finished that show and the cruise director came back to, hey, well, that was great. Boy, I told you it would work. I said, yeah. Natalie was okay with it. <clears throat> so the second show, it was a comedy of errors. Uh, first of all, the professor chairs, Natalie's pulling the rope. It got all caught up around me. So now, like, I've got 50 feet of rope. I couldn't get it out. I'm now, I'm now doing the act and I've got rope everywhere, all over the floor. Then I go, right, go, 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 go. she goes, what do I, I said, well, move on, move on, move on. Go all under my breath because I can do this as chaplain. But knowing the character so well, knowing chaplain, this is the great thing about what I do, about chaplain, is that something, it can go wrong and, and nobody, nobody knows because it's Charlie Chaplin. It's supposed to go wrong. Who knows? And, and besides, even for a magician, no one knows what's supposed to happen. No one knows. Force a card, they don't get the card, do something else. No one knows. You're going to, you know. So then she brings out, she's starting to pull on the, the 20 feet or whatever it is of rope, uh, of, of hanky. That gets stuck. So now <clears throat> oh, there I am on stage with rope on the floor, tangled around my legs, tangled around the props. Um, the, the, the 20 feet of hanky, which is supposed to be coming out of my pocket, is also tangled because I got tangled with the rope and my jacket. I put her on the chair suspension, that collapses. So she like limps off back to, he's getting out. But at this stage, people are killing themselves, right? Then the rope gets caught around my prop bag. And as I move forward, the prop bag just goes on the floor. People are crying. It's like, uh, but I know it's funny because I know what's funny and what's not funny. And I know this is funny. So I'm just carrying on as though it's a, like, this is Charlie Chaplin. And, um, and, but the funniest thing was I walk off stage and as I walk off stage, I could feel something tugging at my leg. Now I instantly know what's happened. I know that my, Rope has got caught around the chair suspension. It's got caught around all the props. So I kept walking and pulling. I'm off stage now, and all you see is that the show finishes with all these props being dragged off stage by the rope. And the cruise director comes back and he said, "That is the funniest act I've ever seen in my life." He said, "That is br people were la laughing, crying." He said, "That's brilliant." 
And I said to Natalie, I, I said, I told the girlfriend, it wasn't supposed to happen. I said, everything was, that was not supposed to happen. And, uh, and Natalie said, that's the last time. I'll never do it. That was the first and last. I wish, you know, that's the sort of thing you wish is a happy yeah. accident that you could do every time. Uh, it's a very funny cod magic act. And that's a, really, that's what Chaplin would do. I think that's exactly what Chaplin would do. But to try and, you know, I don't know if uh, there's nobody out there that wants to get thrown off a chair suspension every performance. Um, the seas were a bit rocky, which is why the chair suspension fell over. Did you have in your app, did, do you ever have backups or anything if it goes wrong? Yeah. Or anything, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> or with the chaplain act, it's just if it goes wrong, you just. Well, there's nothing really to do. I can't think of anything too good. Well, actually, no, that's not true at all. Um, there was one time, uh, actually, there's been a few times. Um, do I have backups? Not really. Uh, I have two of everything. You know, uh, uh, and I only learned that because of this story. I was traveling from Brazil to somewhere, and uh, customs were a nightmare. They pulled everything apart. What I didn't know when I – and I was traveling on a ship, and I got to the next cruise ship and hadn't looked at my props, I think, until I was about to go on stage. So I put my broom levitation together. It's a floating broom that I came up with. It's a finish to my show, and I just kind of put it together quickly, screwed it all in place. Okay, it was all set went to do it at the end of the show and I started to float the broom and the broom just broke in half. So now I, so, and again, it's just, you've got a split second. You can, what do you do? <clears throat> and I learned this from playing piano all my life. Uh, this was the biggest thing I ever learned was if you make a mistake, the chances are the audience isn't going to know. You just carry on. But if you play the piano and you make a mistake and you stop and you go, oh, and then you carry, the audience is going to know. So that's a lesson I learned as a kid. Um, so in magic, in this case, and it gets back to knowing the character so well. I know Chaplin so well that I can take anything and make and, and make it work if I have to. So what happened was, the, so the broom is not levitating anymore. It's just stuck on the gimmick. Half of it's on the floor. I just threw the half on the floor, picked up the head of the broom, and started dancing to the music with it. Just started dancing like I was in love with it. Just carried on. It wasn't floating. There was no magic. And then just finished it. And at the end, a friend of mine was in the audience. And he said, I really love that new way you do the broom. I'm going, what, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, well, and I felt terrible. It was like the worst performance of my life. I said that, and what happened was with customs had, had taken the broom, and obviously because it looks kind of like a gun, I guess, and, and when they scan it, and they pulled it apart and they'd broken the gimmick without me knowing. Mm -hmm. I was able to put it together. So um, that happened in the performance, and it's within a split second. You've got to – and it gets back to knowing the character, and that's why I love Chaplin so much because uh, I just know that I can make anything work. Um, I think once my snowstorm, I, I stopped using it. I used to use the Kevin James snow animator, and then once the battery didn't work. So, um, <laughs> um, you know, when you're doing that with the snow animator, there's no snow. What do you? <gasps> I ended up just doing <laughs> blowing. <laughs> you know, but it kind of worked as Chaplin. You know, I felt as a, I felt that oh man, I really let my audience down because it didn't work. But but if if you understand your character so well and you can make it work, you can almost get away with anything. You know, it's not as strong, but at least. It's not like a magician doing something soaring or, like, or you know whatever. It's it's not as bad. Um, um, that's my theory anyway, and it seems to work. But it works really well for Chaplin, and it comes back and everything. As I it probably I keep repeating, but it does come back to the character. Uh, I'm the character of Chaplin. You could do anything, and as long as I understand that, um, uh, and I think that any over the years anything that's gone wrong in the show that's gone wrong. Um, is it still working? Oh, okay. um, anything. Like checking your time. Yeah, um, six hours. Um, anything that's gone wrong in the show probably by this time has gone wrong, and that's why we get back to why I'm so comfortable. I don't get nervous. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. If that's good advice or bad advice, it's just for me because everyone says you have to be nervous before you go on to do a good show, and I always feel bad because I think, oh, maybe I'm doing a crap show because I'm not nervous. Um, I just feel 
I feel more comfortable on stage than I do off stage. And and that comes back to being a kid that just felt comfortable being on stage, not playing the piano. But <laughs> Do you, because um, we, we've spoken to a few people who are musicians also, uh, yep. uh, do you structure your magic like a composition? It, it, I, I actually majored in composition, and, and absolutely, absolutely. It's like a story. If you're, if you're a writer, you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, or I, I, I do it like a, a composition. That's what I majored in at university was composition, and um, it's exactly what, exactly how I do it. Yeah, it's how I see my structure, my show, and and that's something I see a lot of magicians. Um, uh, and again, it's just my personal point of view of what I like as a magician. Um, there's no there's no structure, there's no flow. Um, it's just a series of tricks. And this is why I get back to kids magicians. Um, they just kind of pull one thing out after another. But give your audience credit. Treat them like it's a show. Treat even a birthday party. Treat it like it's a little theater. And um, and oh, we, we we interviewed uh, David Kay. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And, oh my god. Yeah. Just him talking about how he puts together yeah. a kids party. It's yeah. It's a gigantic show for children and that's, in that, their home. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the, it's uh, you know the best book is theatrical magic. That's what it is. It. I think that magic has to be theater. I was just watching you know Tom Mollick again today after he passed yesterday, and. Uh, Oh, and and it's unbelievable when you watch his his face is his theatre and that's his that's his theatre is right there and you're just drawn into it and with Chaplin it's the same thing I find that I can be in a show with a lot of other magicians and I only say this because of what people tell me afterwards but but Chaplin is memorable even though the magic now here's the thing the magic in the Chaplin show isn't strong I can go on with I've been on with Dan Sperry and Oscar Munoz and at the end you know Dan Sperry comes on and people go nuts. I come on and and and, and you know, there's a nice round of applause, but it's not it's not that sort of Chaplin is not that sort of show, and I and I understand that it's not a show where people go and they watch it and they go, they start applauding, they they sit and they take it in, but a couple of days later they remember the character, they remember the Chaplin act, and it touches them in a certain way. Um, even when I perform it, there's a routine I do that I cry because it has a memory of something that I created that relates to something that you know happened to me and 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 um when i perform it i'm crying um oscar munoz gave me great advice once he watched my show and he said and i I was on tour with oscar and dan actually and murray hadfield and uh, oscar watched me do my show over and over and over and as the tour went on uh, he noticed that i was becoming less and less um i guess chaplain-esque perhaps because on a tour you're doing it three times a night and it'd be gets tiring right and he watched me do a routine and he said you have to uh and it really it was great advice he said you need to uh because i'm acting he said if, if you if it's raining the routine with the umbrella actually he said if it's raining in your mind you have to really think that it's raining he said because right now we're not we can hear the music raining we kind of get the idea that you know you're acting it but you're not really thinking it he said in your mind Think to yourself, it's raining, and I started doing that with my magic. And I tell that's, you what, that sense of memory, of yeah. The and I tell you what, it makes a huge difference. I mean, even you know, everything's like in my mind when I'm performing Chaplin or any magic. I'm actually thinking, what's going on? So uh, I know you were talking about the, the dancing Hank earlier, and you said you hadn't found the music. Yeah, do you? I haven't found the motivation or the story either. Oh, the story either. Yeah. Um, do Do you find because I find that when I listen to music, that's most of the time what I'm going to think of an effect. No, oh my god! Oh no, no! I, I, my music's going twenty four seven. You hear something, you just go. I oh have, my gosh, that yeah. would be great! And I, 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 I have it on I, a radio thing on the internet, and uh, a jazz. I just flip between class. I'm classically trained, so I listen to a lot of classical music. Um, I get inspiration from. Um, uh, I, and I also think that I, 
I listen to music and I think of other people and I think, oh God, I wish I should, I could, you know, I think I would be really good at helping other people design an act. I think I could take somebody and, and give them an act. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to do it, but I could um, because I just, I've done it for myself. And it's actually easier to do it for other people than it is for myself. I find it really hard. It, it, it was interesting because we were talking to, um, this is, you know, yep. we can still, uh, we were talking to John Lubbock. Yeah. And because he's a director. Yeah. And from his background, and, you know, he just, he, he says, he goes, it's, I don't remember, I think TC said this, mm-hmm. and John kind of backed it up, was that as an agent, you are the producer. Yeah. yeah. Pause that real quick. Yeah. Momentarily. Okay, we're back from our little break. Um, uh, yeah, so it's fully charged. People are listening to this. Okay. Test. Okay. Um, so, oh yeah, so uh, we were just talking in private about Hitchcock and stuff. I have a theory on this uh, with magic too uh, about um, I find that magicians do tend to sometimes dumb down the audience. Now, here's my theory on this. We go to a movie, or people get, we go to a movie, we can sit there without being told what's happening, what the plot is. It can be quite a, a, a movie with several layers, right? We're not sitting there being told what's about to happen or what's happening, right? And I find, I found, and this is what I found doing silent magic, especially with strolling magic, was that by not saying anything, I realized people aren't stupid, so, and it makes the magic stronger. So if we say we're going to make a card come to the top, uh, most magicians I see that do the ambitious card will put the card in the middle, and they'll say, now watch, the card will jump to the top, and then the card jumps to the top. You've just told the audience what's going to happen. Try it and do it without saying anything, and the reaction is a lot stronger because it's more of a surprise. You know, when we go to a movie, we're not told what's going to happen. The only time we're ever told what's going to happen in magic on television is if it's – what's that show? The greatest – whatever that show is that's on that magic show, the great, world's greatest magicians. Mm-hmm. The, the, they have the announcers, and no, the lady is going to be cut in half. You know, I hate that, I hate that voiceover. Get rid of the voiceover. You'll have a great show. Um, you know, um, but they're dumbing down the audience, and I, and I find it – especially with close-up magic, and I discovered this doing strolling. Uh, if I do I do coins across, I can force it. I do everything I do normally uh, as uh, with card magic and stuff, um, and I realize I don't have to say anything, but it makes the magic a lot stronger. And also I think I'm not dumbing down the audience by telling them what's about to happen, um, and it's more of a surprise. It's just something I, I've uh, – I've noticed since doing, you know, since I've been doing Chaplin, especially doing silent strolling magic, which is an interesting, um, it's hard when you start off doing, imagine doing your entire strolling act without saying a word. So in other words, you have to do like coins across, you have to do uh, card tricks without saying a word. So you have to be able to, you know, I have people sign a card. So how do you, how do you tell someone to sign a card without actually telling them? So imagine, so it's a great exercise and everybody should do it. Um, because it actually you'll, you'll find moments in your act where you don't need to say anything, but it makes the magic a lot stronger. That's why I love watching Teller because he just oh, there you go, yeah, perfect yeah, example. He just yeah, I mean he's just somebody yeah. does this and the person instantly mimics it. Yeah, great. And go. and I mean that's, that's a perfect example because uh, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, it's a good 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 example actually. Um, you know, and he gets he. It's all in the facial expressions, and and people know what you want them to do, you know. Um, so yeah, there you go. Um, I guess we can kind of wrap it up. Um, one of the last questions I ask is kind of a cheesy question, I guess. Is um, what advice would you give now mm-hmm. if you could go back in time, look at your younger self? Yep. What would be the key point of advice you would want to give? 
probably to uh, hmm. Hmm, that's a very good question I th uh, hmm. read uh, no no because I did that I would give that advice to kids today when I grew up there, we, we only had books so I, I read I mean read a lot um, hmm the advice I would give to others would be to to uh, take in as much – actually, here's a yes. Now, the, if I knew what I was going to yeah, – okay, okay, this is the advice. If I knew today where I was going to be, um, I probably would have wanted to uh, be more involved in generally in the arts itself. So, in other words, um, uh, even though I was very heavily involved in music, I would have wanted to do more th – uh, dance or uh, theatrical training, or um, I did study film and television, but but taken as much of other of culture, cultural um, other cultures, but certainly cultural things, but theatrical things, you know, um, study more theatre uh, because all that helps, um, you know, um, and even um, as a business, uh, concentrate more on, on the business side of things too, so. Uh, that's probably for me is, um, you know, open yourself up to more. I, I would have opened my, like to have opened myself up to more um, things to do with the arts or theatre. I think that would have probably helped me a, a lot. I've had, I've done it myself over time because I realise how important it is, mm. but only, you know, when I finished school and stuff uh, and university, um, those weren't the topics, those weren't the subjects that I, you know, took uh, more academic things, although music was, but, um, that would be that would probably be the advice. Knowing where I am today and what I wanted to do with it, um, I think in those days I took subjects thinking that I was going to that if it didn't work, you know, because your parents, if it doesn't work, you have something to fall back on. So I was going to be a teacher to fall. You know, if the magic didn't work out well, you've got your teaching degree, you can teach. Um, but I think um, for me, it would have been just to immerse myself more in the theatrical side of life because it probably would have um, sped things along uh, yeah because I think I did I you know I read a lot of things I, I read you know I tell people to read as many books as you can uh, everyone's watching online videos um, which is fine but just just get as much knowledge base as you can which I did because there were times because all that knowledge base that you have I remember there were one year on a cruise ship I lost my bags 14 I didn't lose it the airlines lost my bags 14 times um, so, but I still had to perform, so I had nothing. I had, I had borrowed clothes from, you know, the the, the waiters and things, and and um, we had um, I had found rope on the ship. The only reason I could do that was because I had because I'd been studying since I was a kid. I'd read every magic book. I'd, you know, if I was a new if I if I just got on the ship, cruise ship, and didn't have that background, I would have been stuffed. I would have been in panic mode. Um, but I just took it in my stride. Now, give me an orange. I had a thumb tip and a deck of cards, and I think that was it. I had um, that probably. Well, I think I had my linking coat hangers in my carry-on, um, and that's all I needed to do. Forty-five minutes, and that's when I really learned. Uh, that's when I, I actually remember thinking to myself. I think it's in my cruise ship book, but I remember thinking to myself, "Man, after whatever twenty-five years or whatever it was of learning magic, it's finally paid off for that one time." That, and then actually, what happened was, so 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 now I had an act that I was able to take with me because I 
worked at it now. And and during that year, 14, 13 other times the bags got lost. I had no problem. I was able to do an act. Um, and I actually remember phoning up my cruise agent because it was much easier for me to do that act than Chaplin. Mm. I remember phoning up my agent saying, you know what, I'm not doing Chaplin anymore on ships. I'm just going to do the act that I'm doing. Getting great response. I don't need to take all those props. Uh, he goes, oh, no, no, they hire you because of your chapter. <laughs> he said that the fact that you can actually do a backup act is great, but he said, so that actually the backup act became my second act on cruise ships. So it's often, so it's great because it gave me, but, but only because I read as a kid. And, and so if I was, um, and that's something I did. It's not advice I would go back and give myself because I did that. I immersed myself in that. Um, and f- f- growing up in New Zealand was a bit, it was really a different time than it is today. I mean, I remember we had to, you know, I had to go to the, post office and, and you could only get $5 money orders or something. So if a trick was 20 bucks, I'd have to wait a month or two months before I could get the whole postal order together and then post it off, which took three months and to get it back was so, you know, growing up in New Zealand, we didn't have access like they do today of internet. It wasn't instant. It would take months, maybe six months to get something, you know? And so, and so that's, that's how it was. So we were sort of, you're forced to, to be by yourself almost and create, you know, if you wanted something, you had to be quite creative to do it. So that was a good thing. Um, I think today we have access to everything instantly. It's just a different time altogether. It's not a bad, it's not a good thing. It's just the way it is. It's, um, and that's just the way it is. And um, you just, you know, the kids today, have everybody has access to everything. I find, it, I find it interesting that you said that you could just grab what you could to put together a show. Yeah. Um, Jason tells me all the time, and it's one of his favorite things, is like, I had to learn the difficult slides so that I never had to do them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I had to learn the difficult stuff so I never had to do it again. Yeah. I mean, I don't, <laughs> oh, I, you know, on one hand, under cap, palm, all sorts of crazy things. Nobody knew what I was doing. I was reading them in books um, and I would show people back home in New Zealand when I was a kid. They go, oh, I don't know what that's called, you know, but I, I, I learned those things, never used them, but I knew they were there. And um, because if he ever had to, yeah, it's the same. And I get that. You get that from music, from learning music. You 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 do your scales. You do you never you never. But it, those scales lead to other things, so you can do runs and things. Um, and it's the same with magic. You know, you, you need the chops. You may never use it, um, and but it's there if you need to. And and if you, you know, um, as Chaplin, uh, keep going back to it. But if I were to do a card trick as Chaplin, I could do as many tricky moves as I like. Um, People don't expect them, so they're not even looking for them. So the heat's right off me. So that's another good thing about Chaplin. There's no heat on me for doing great magic or doing moves because people just don't expect it. They think I'm just there to kick them up and bum, you know, do something comical as Chaplin, nothing nothing um, clever like a card trick or a coins across or something. So when it happens, it's good, but it does take the heat off me for any moves. Um, what else? <laughs> anything or anything? I think that's that's good. Enough? Yeah. Okay. I don't think of anything else, any of my other theories that I have that are quite strong, but I think that's probably it. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't, um, no, I think, I think if somebody would ask me for advice, it would be to immerse yourself in, in as much art, like go to museums, go to concerts, go to shows, take in a, be inspired by everything that's around us, you know, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a great word. I love that word. My buddy Andrew Gerard, he's a Renaissance man. Um, you know, he immerses himself in everything from photography and everything else inspires um, that, uh, you know, you get inspiration from anything, from something that you, you're passionate about. You can get inspiration from music or 
from art. And I think, you know, if, if, you, if you're looking at creating an act, especially a themed act, uh, look at something that you really love. If you have a passion for art, uh, look at, you know, look at your artist. Look, you could be inspired by the artist or the painting. And, and then all you've got, that could trigger a whole act. Um, any, anything like that. Um, that, that. And that's how I view it. That's, I mean, when I go to, when I, when I, when I leave the door, my mind, I'm not constantly thinking of magic, but it's always that, that whole thing. You never know what's going to create something. So I could, I could look at something in the shop. It could be a window decoration. I could see a, um, walk past a shop and look at a window decoration, for example. Go, oh my God. Wow. Look at that. that. That could inspire something, you know. So you get inspiration from anywhere. Uh, it's just a matter of looking around. Uh, anything else about character that you want to ask? I don't know. Do we cover that? Um, it's quite a per I find character work quite personable, personal, um, because it depends on the character. Um, Chaplin to me is very, um, you know, people generally think of Chaplin as someone, you know, comedy kicking someone up the bum and running off with the, you know, the policeman thing, being chased. For me, it's actually not at all. You wanted to get rid of the chase. Yeah, well, he got rid of it. I mean, yeah. for me, it's um, it's very uh, it's very deep. Um, you know, if I could do a Chaplin act. Really, how I how I see Chaplin, the entire audience would believe be in tears that because they'd be hit on an emotional level, um, you know. Uh, and the thing about Chaplin is that he takes you on. A, if you watch a Chaplin movie, and this is another thing I tell everybody is to watch watch these movies because because if you watch a Chaplin movie, you can relate. And so we talked about this earlier about composition, mm. um, structure in a show. Here's the best way to if you watch a Charlie Chaplin movie like let me give you an example like The Gold Rush or The Kid. Watch The Kid. Um, because you go on, or the gold rush, because you go on such an emotional ride. I mean, you, one minute you're laughing, you're crying. It's such an emotional journey. Now, you take that, that, what I take away from that is that it is an emotional roller coaster. And in my own show, that's what I try to do. It's it's a roller coaster of laughing. So one minute people are laughing, and the next minute there um, there's a lot of pathos in the show. You know, if I could, what I feel about limelight. Yeah, yeah limelight's yeah. another great example. If I could do an entire Ch Chaplin show, as I said, it would all be pathos because to me that's what Chaplin's about. Um, and I think that's part of the magic of Chaplin um, is that and, – and, and, and you take away this being a magician – is that um, the thing about Chaplin and why Chaplin was so success, successful was that he broke down the barriers between people could relate to him because, you know, it was around in the Depression and stuff and even before that, but, but the people on the street could relate to him or the businessman could relate. You know, everyone could relate somehow to Charlie Chaplin. So imagine as a magician, if everybody could relate to you and um, and that wall was broken down, you know, that barrier was broken down. And that's a good thing about the character uh, and, and understanding the characters. That it, so when I do Chaplin, it relates to kids that are five years old. You know, they get they they see the, the comedy shtick um, and it can relate to grandmother, you know, any age. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of the magic of Chaplin as well. Um over the years, I think, God, yeah, it's just, it's just those are things that have come over the years, and um, that, it's just it's a strong character to do. I'm not suggesting on this that everyone go out and do Charlie Chaplin. Please don't. Um, it's taken me a lifetime to do it. Um, I've seen some pretty bad examples, but but any, it doesn't matter. Even as a magician, look at the character of what who you are, what you're doing, because um, for me that's and then and then once you once you understand, you have an understanding of that of who you are then actually choosing the magic. You stop spending all your money on magic <laughs> because you don't need it anymore. You look at, you, you know, you don't look, you, you don't need it um, because you know your character so well. So, yes. 
<laughs> something, something wise no, to say. No, I have to put on my Eugene Brigger beard. And, yeah. well, <laughs> <laughs> well, but I can't think of anything. No, that's um, perfect. You, it, a lot of people, like I said, think that, oh, did I give you much? No, you gave us okay. just what we needed. I'll know if I get an email saying, yeah, you know, the recording yeah, was pretty crap. <laughs> it was between you and TC Tom. Oh, no, I would go with TC over me any day. Holy smokes, are you kidding? I love TC. Maybe it's mate. Oh, man. I don't know anything TC says. I should have phoned him before. Hey, TC, I don't know what to say. Let me tell me what you said. <laughs> no, he, yeah, he went on a long, a long monologue. It was fun. Which these people get to hear. Yeah. Things, so. Well, thank you. Oh, no, you're welcome. Thank you, man. That one's great. Wow. Well, guys, um, we'll also say Vanish Magazine, right? Yeah. Vanish yeah, Magazine. Yeah. Um, check it out. Yeah, it's going to be published soon. So by the time the book comes out, there should be a few editions already published, I would hope. Um, like actually printed. Yeah. And uh, VanishMagic.com. It's all over the internet. And, you know, it's, uh, it's doing really, really well. And the idea about Vanish is just simply to give back. Because I mean, I've been doing magic for uh, year one, and oh, I love that line by Billy McComb, and I meant to throw that in. I'm sure somebody already said this. Um, Billy McComb, you ask, you know, people always ask, when did you get into magic? And you say, oh, when I was six years old. Yeah, I, w I wasted the first six years of my life, you know. <laughs> I love that line by Billy. Um, but but Vanish is, is for everybody, and it's um, at the end of the day, it's really just for me because I I wanted them. At the end of the day, it's a magazine that I want to read. And um, so the articles are all articles. This is how I judge it. They're all articles that I find interesting. And that's how I, my criteria for Vanish. And if other people enjoy them, well, that's even better. But um, uh, yeah, it's a magazine that's out for everybody. It's, um, you know, we have on the average 100,000 downloads and not just magicians. I uh, There's a huge music community that I, I just found out that downloads Vanish. Um, so there's, there's a whole lot of people that get it because the articles aren't just on magic. Um, you know, there's a lot of great articles on business, um, on how to get work, uh, um, you know, all sorts of things that yeah. you should know. So it's yep. really cool. Check it out, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Wow. Right here from Langley, DC. <laughs> Back to you. We chatted for a few more hours about our mutual love for Charlie Chaplin and the work Paul was doing with Vanish Magazine, which he created. I had one last cup of coffee and made my way back. Entering Canada was much easier than leaving. After waiting in long lines of cars and undergoing multiple random questions, apparently visiting Canada for only several hours is confusing and suspicious to the U.S. Border Patrol, I entered back into the rainy state of Washington. Driving through the night, trying to keep my eyes open, I finally made it back to my hotel for some well-deserved sleep. <laughs>